I'm Jake Thompson, and this is the Better Than Yesterday podcast. What's up? Welcome to episode 10 of the Better Than Yesterday podcast. I am so glad you're here, competitors, and you have a special, special guest today coming from the Compete community. Karen Pierce lives in Austin, Texas, has competed in the CrossFit Games, has done some freaking amazing things in her life, and one of them is kicking cancer's ass. That's right. Karen was diagnosed a few years ago with cervical cancer, and we just dive into the details of her story and what that was like for a woman in her early 30s, for an athlete on the rise within a new and growing sport, and how she went through that process. What was her mindset like? How did she take care of her body to best battle that cancer? And it's just an amazing story. Karen is an inspirational leader. She is someone that I look to and admire not only for just who she is as a woman, a person, but just the fight that she has in her spirit is second to none. And so I know you're gonna get so much out of this week's episode. It's one of the ones that I recorded it earlier in 2016, and I'm so excited to be able to release it now and introduce you to Karen Pierce. Karen, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Great, I am excited you're here. I had a chance to sit down, and, and obviously you're a great part of the Compete community, and so we've gotten to know each other quite a bit better the last year, but really about a year ago, we sat down and, and did an interview about your battle with cancer and cervical cancer and how that kind of changed everything for you in life, and, and I want to take back before we dive into that really, Give us a quick 15, 20 second head start, who you are, where you're from, a little bit about yourself. I'm Karen Pierce. I live in Austin, Texas. I co-own CrossFit Yokarhu with some amazing people. I've been in the CrossFit community for, I think I did the math this morning, in July will be like seven freaking years. Wow. But um, yeah, so I've been doing that. CrossFit's pretty much less of what I do, but I get outdoors and do other things. I, I love your gym. I think it's the one gym that nobody can pronounce properly the first few times. Uh, it's the best conversation starter ever. Absolutely. Because I remember when you guys first opened, I was like looking at it. I probably went through 15 enunciations of it. I was like, this is not right. I cannot pronounce how to say it. Um, and I think Jess Estrada sat down at one of one of the competitions, ACO or something, and like walked me through it like I was a first grader. Like, here's how we break it down and pronounce it. And I was like... Okay, uh, so you guys have yeah, been open. We, do that a lot. we break it down a lot for people, and whenever we hosted 15.2 last year, they broke it down in like very basic. I was like, where was that we opened up? That is genius. You need it on the wall, like right as you walk yeah. in. This is how you say it. Uh, I love it. No, I love it. I love y'all's community. Y'all got such a fun crew down there, a great group of athletes, but even better people, and and you leading the way and, and one of our ambassadors. And so I love your story and your just kind of inspirational journey. And I think we titled it Heart of a Champion because that, okay. I think, embodies you. Take me back to 2013, 2014, when you were first starting to notice something was different um, right before you received kind of the cancer diagnosis. Okay. Um, back, uh, I, I may say this. I'll give you my story, and you can edit out all the TMI you want. <laughs> um, but so back in uh, 
you know, you girls get their normal, like, yearly checkup. And I went to one, and it came back abnormal. And I was like, huh, that's weird. I, this was in January of 2014. I was like, I take care of myself. Why is this weird? And they ran a biopsy. They, you know, I had to come back, and they did a biopsy, and back and forth, back and forth. And they called me, and pretty much on February 5th, I was diagnosed, February 5th of 2014, I was diagnosed with this big, long medical term, meaning stage zero cervical cancer. And the doctor had called me, my guy had called me and said, you know, these aren't cancer cells, but you know, they can turn into cancer cells, so you need to get a scan. And I'm like, oh, what? A scan? And uh, they, you know, I've never broken a bone, I've never had a medical thing, so I get these news, and I'm like, I skipped. Like, what's the scan we talked about? Like, who do I call? And um, so I talk to, I start calling, just like I get up the insurance thing, I start looking up on colpus because I know my the the nurse practitioner or whatever the person that is from my guy. And he's like, she explained to me that I need to have a, a certain kind of scan with an oncologist. And I was like, oh, that's that sounds like a big deal. I, you know, I've never had to ask a doctor. I'm just doing a year thing. Um, anyway, they got me on the phone. They said, okay, you need to call an oncologist. Here's you called. So I called them, and a lot of phones went back and forth. Pretty much just, they don't take my insurance. So I was like, okay, what do I do now? I got on my website of my insurance and looked at all of these doctors, and there's like a couple of different ones, but they all had the same phone number. So I was like, are you kidding me? I, I don't know what to do. So I would call one place. And they're like, oh, we don't take grant insurance. And they kind of like push it aside. I'm like, well, here's my here's my diagnosis. What do I do? And they're like, uh, and I guess legally they don't want to tell you anything, which kind of say, okay. But I was, thank goodness I'm willing to ask questions. So I asked all these questions. It got to be just that, it honestly got to be a crazy mess. Call this person, wait for this person to call you back. Call this person, wait, and they call you back. They don't take your insurance. Well, the open was coming up. So this is like February, March, you know, like open's happening. And I kind of just was like, like symptoms had slowed. And I was like, whatever, I'm fine. I'll be fine. It was just a mix up, no big deal. So I started training for the open. And I have to say, in 2014, I was peaked. Not, I was on my way peaked. Like, I was doing good. That year, after finishing fourth in the region, I was going to, I did, I had told everybody that I was going to be an individual that year versus going team as I adapted with in the past. I'm like, no, I'm going to go for individual this year. I put in the work. I put in all the extra work, you know, everything changed, your diet, your, you know, the way you carry yourself, your sleep, your social life. I committed to it all and it paid off. And when I finished fourth and I was like, yes. Well, shortly after that, symptoms started to pick back up about Mother's Day, which is around May shortly before regionals that year. So symptoms had picked back up, and I was like, oh, this is odd. What, what are we doing? I had a lot of questions, but I was still really focused on, I, I'm doing good. I've got improvement in myself. My weaknesses were not so weak anymore. And I was still in training, but I kind of got to like, it got to the point where I really needed some help. Um, so I remember calling, um, I called my, uh, my PCP, which is your primary care physician, and I knew my insurance would cover blood work. So I wanted to see if I was weak. And I wanted to see what my blood work said if it said anything. So I made an appointment for like a physical. I don't need a physical, but I had to do that to get the blood work. So she ran blood work and it all came back fine. Um, but when I was telling her my diagnosis, she was like, 
whoa, 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 whoa. This is not okay. What are you doing about it? I kind of went back to the story. And she got on the phone as a physician and started calling as a physician, whereas I was calling as a patient. She was calling as a physician, and she got much further along in the trail of phone calls. She got to someone um, that, again, didn't take insurance, but I found more numbers, and she was able to call those numbers as a physician, and I finally got to see this doctor. I, But we made an appointment for after refills. So I went to the journals, and it was horrible. I mean, I think I placed 15th and 14th or 15th or something, and maybe, maybe even lower than that. And so some people will be like, yeah, that's awesome. But for the work that I put in, I knew that that was not right. And from the symptoms that were going on, I knew that something was not right. So shortly after regionals, I started seeing, um, I think it was it started being in June, I saw my first oncologist. And they did a manual exam, and they verbally talked to me. But you go into, I, like, yeah, I've never broken a bone. So doing all this was kind of crazy and I didn't tell anyone. I just kind of was like, get a plan, gather all my information before I present my case. And so I was doing all these appointments, not telling friends, I didn't tell my parents. Um, I went to my oncologist appointment and they send in a financial person. Like, the financial person talks to you about all these things, like insurance. And I was like, sure, I okay, cool, I'm by myself. Um, the chaplain comes in. I'm like, I chaplain? What? What? The chaplain? I'm just here for a doctor appointment. The traveling comes in, and then nurse practice. Like, all these people come in, then the doctor comes in. And I was like, what? This is ridiculous. And so the doctor does an exam, and then everybody leaves. And then the chaplain comes back in and talks, and is like, you know, trying to calm your nurse. I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. I don't even know. How do I know what nurse to calm and stuff? So, anyway, they. The, then the doctor and the nurse come back in again after the chaplain leaves and they sit down and explain to me that there's a tumor there. He thinks, based on his physical exam, that it was about the size of a golf ball that he predicted. And I remember thinking, wait, where is this tumor? What, what is, wait, what is going on? And realizing how much I did not know about the female anatomy, even though I'm a female. <laughs> I had no idea what they were talking about. That. This lady, I still have it. She drew out everything on a barf bag for me, like that from the nurse's place. She drew everything out, and I was like, oh, well, okay. So she explained to me, and in that meeting, they had told me that um, I was not, they were going to have a hysterectomy on me. I was 29 years old, I'm unmarried, and I just got told I'm going to have a hysterectomy. And I was like, you've lost your mind. That is not, that's not true. That's not going to happen. And so part of me being I guess being a little stubborn, I was like, oh, that's not going to happen. I, whatever. But you're not going to do that. And I had a couple of late night internet searches, which are really bad. Don't do those. They pronounce you pretty much dead. So if you're a doctor or anything, do not go to the internet. Do not go to WebMD. Do <laughs> not. You're dead. <laughs> so, but I remember kind of like, I end up in like all these chat rooms and ridiculous, not chat rooms, like message boards, all this ridiculous stuff. And um, I'd heard about all these procedures, like loop and, all these other things, I'm like, oh, that's what's wrong with me. But they're, this is fine. They'll just go in there, this little loop procedure, and pull out everything. No big deal. It'll be like three days off training. No big deal. And I was like, oh, for that appointment, I thought, that's probably not right. So that was my appointment. He even sent me after that to go get an MRI. So I go to get this MRI, which had to be rescheduled a thousand times. And I was like, ugh, are you kidding me? Even the day I went to get the MRI, the lights went out, and I had to delay my point like three hours. I was like, put it close because 
all these appointments lined up because doctors only in the office only certain days. And I had to have all these appointments to line up. So when I got back to my doctor's appointment in a week or so, the results will be there. A lot, a lot of planning and phone calls. Anyway, I go for this MRI. I'm like, I wouldn't even want to say it's like Friday the 13th. Something ridiculous. I go to this MRI. They take me to a trailer. Let me say this nice hospital, but the MRI machine, which I've never had it before, is in a trailer. And I'm like, what is this mess? This is crazy. And I take that like, you know, I had like my ears pierced. I had got all my earrings. So I was like, oh, this is crazy. So they put me in this MRI. I think it lasts about 45 seconds. And this guy that was, doing, was really nice, he was talking to me. I think he was really confused at why I was having an MRI because it, it, I walk in and I'm in shape. I'm coming off a refill. But even though I was really sick, I, I was in really good shape. And not to backtrack, but being in really good shape helped out a lot. And taking care of myself helped me out a lot to this battle. So I came in full force to this battle, so which was a huge thing. So I did that, and like I had my MRI, and I remember I had have him get done and walking out and being like, okay, cool, high five, what's up, you know, what would you see? And he's like, I can't do that. I can't legally tell you what I saw. And I was like, are you kidding me? Talk about being like mind craziness. So they um, they send the MRI to this, uh, send it back to the office where the oncologist was that I found on my insurance website. So I go for my appointment the next Tuesday because doctor's only in, in the office on Tuesdays, randomly. So I go in there and, um, he, I had to see the other doctor because the original doctor was out of town. So I'm on oncologist number two. Um, this guy's Dr. Dalrymple. And I see him and uh, he explains to me, oh, they, by this time, I had my MRI that Friday. And I thought, they told me in my last appointment that I need to bring someone with me to help understand the results. Like I need to bring a party on me that can take notes and that stuff. So after my MRI that day, I called my parents. And I said, hey... I'm in this predicament. I really need to talk to you about some stuff. And it was funny. Jess actually encouraged. I told her what was going on along the way because I was still I was still working out and still training. And I thought if I'm to pass out and something happens to me because I'm working out, then I need them to tell the ambulance something. So I told her Winchester because those were Coach Winchester was my my coach, and Jess was my best friend and training partner. So she needed to know too. But um, I. I guess I can back up, and I stayed training um, throughout that whole thing because uh, part of me, like, it was a way to ignore what was actually really going on. It was a way to make me feel healthy. No matter if you're putting a lot of load in the bar or if you're just moving, sometimes that just makes you feel really good and really strong. Like you did, can take on anything. Did you so notice when you were trying to train, were you fatiguing quicker? Were you uh, tons? Because I trained through treatment, uh, my fatigue just hit in full force. It was fine at the beginning, but then I was like, never. You know, like I wasn't set up for trying for a training. But um the um the new oncologist had told me he's like, there is a tumor. There it is a golf ball size tumor. It's on your cervix. Uh I would he I don't remember if he suggested a second if I'd already started looking at another opinion or came shortly after that. But I was like, oh you need second opinions because that's what you do. You get second opinions. So I was one of the best place I knew somebody, unfortunately, one of my friend's dads had cancer, and he went to MD Anderson. And I was like, that's the cancer place. That's where you go to get the best thing ever. It's in Houston. It's awesome. I'm going to go there. And so um, I think when I walked into that second that um, a second appointment with the oncologist, after I told my parents, they were 
I told them that front of my MRI, they were pretty devastated. They were really mad that I didn't tell them earlier. But I, again, gathered all my information and presented it. But I wanted, they were actually traveling too, and I, I knew my parents are amazing. They would have come home. They were actually in Australia. They would have come home. And they were, what are they going to come home and just sit and wait? I had no answers, no nothing, and I didn't want that to happen. So they, um, I told them that Friday, and my mom came up shortly after that with me to that next appointment, and she like wrote on a pad like we talked to the doctor, and I was like, write that down, and she write it down, I write that down, and she write it down, just because they talk so fast, it's such a different language. I don't know what's going on. I can just look it up, look it up later. But my do- that doctor was really nice and um, really patient and very understanding of what was going on. So after I saw him, I was like, I'm gonna go get a second opinion. And he encouraged it too. So we went down to MD Anderson and got thing there. I remember my first time I showed up there. It's like, and this kid with a, a big hospitals, you get a wristband, you're a number, and I go for blood work every time I go. For, I go for blood work, and they come back and say, okay, here's what we can proceed with that. So they can tell a lot from your blood work and a bunch of different things. So uh, I have all all these ultrasounds, scans, all these appointments lined up. Um, a little bit of trouble getting appointments um, because, of course, insurance issues and I, it was just a mess. But we finally got to see them, and I got—I was fortunate enough to get an appointment with the head doctor of the gynecologic oncologist's office. Um, and oh, unfortunately, we weren't able to do an exam that day. We prevented a lot and delayed a lot. But I got to verbally speak to her, and she sat down with my parents and explained to them, and I guess me too, who didn't know a lot about the anatomy, what the options were, what was going on. This is kind of like female anatomy. This is what the purpose of this is. We even, that, that day, we scheduled a hysterectomy. We scheduled the OR for hysterectomy, um, which is unnerving to hear. Again, from being a female who never had a kid. 20, I was 29 years old. I was unmarried. Um, so there were no children. So it was kind of taking a lot. We're a family group. So it was kind of taking a lot for me. But How did you, and let me ask, and sorry to cut in, how, okay. how did you, I guess, process that and how have you learned to almost cope and adjust with that knowing that you know adoption it would be the future for you if if that's the route you end up going in and wanting to add to your family yeah it's very very hard um because people are like oh kids and i was like ah okay okay and um if you have to explain them they mean when people ask you that or they make that comment they don't mean any harm by it maybe they don't know your story maybe they don't know anything but it doesn't say it's not a stab in the heart or the gut or whatever um you can say hey i went you know i kind of went through some stuff they don't know already um but here are my options and uh you just tell them i'm open to adoption i have i actually have eggs stored and i'll talk about that in a second but i have options for to expand a family um so that you just have to be very upfront and honest or else they're going to tiptoe around it. And they don't need to. And they're, they're not very, um, they don't know. So Yeah, and I, I was curious. The reason I ask is, especially here in, you know, you being in Texas and the South, it's kind of, there's a lot of that get a job, get married, get a family, just all of that. And, and you and I know just from our lifestyles that most of us that, aspire to different things we don't fit in that little box and we kind of have our own path and journey and so I was curious just more of how you yourself were able to like I know does it still bother you that, that you wouldn't be able to 
uh, go through kind of that pregnancy process or um, is it something that you just kind of understand this is my journey um, I'm starting to be comfortable with that reality and I know whoever I run my life with and, and adventure life with um, is going to be okay with that because it's me that is part of it it's a little bit of everything it is still it still hurts because like you just talked about I I was raised in the south family and I, that's my job as a woman is to have kids. I mean, you can do other things, but you're supposed to have kids. You're supposed to reproduce. Um, so it was really, it was really, a, I mean, being brought up that way, it was really hard to accept that. It was really hard to um, have to face that and to tell the family, like, I can carry a kid physically. It doesn't mean I can't have a kid, but it made me more aware of adoption and brought, there's a way I can carry out a family. Um, but, it is hard. It is just hard. Yeah. You have to learn to accept it. And it has to be a conversation. Like you want to talk about dating world? It has to be a conversation in the in early on. Like It's not like, oh, I like this person. I'll get to know them. And then they, like, I feel like I need to be very upfront with it. And not so much as to scare someone off, but just to be honest and be real. No, but it is something you do have to learn to deal with. Because I can't sit and cry all the rest of my life. But... It's something I'm going to face and cross that bridge with it. No, and I love that because I think a lot of the people listening, that probably not the same situation, but people are going to have those situations in their life that force them on a different path than the majority of, of people are used to. And so it's just kind of how you, how you cope and understand that and come to terms with it, understanding that that pain will, will always be there and you'll, you'll kind of feel like you miss a little bit, but understand that there's, there's great opportunity still there for you. And like you said, the adoption game, there, there's plenty of, of children and opportunities out there for people needing love and hope and, and things like that. Um, so you've had, you had the hysterectomy, you had the surgery, you started treatment after that. Is that right? In my conversation with Andy Anderson, they, I met with a radiologist and they said that, I would need to start treatment. Like I could come the next week, and I was like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" I have a career, I have a job, I have athletes that I need to take care of. So then we started thinking, since this was going to affect my fertility, um, what are my options there? And so what we did was they connected me with a fertility doctor, um, one that does deals, deals with that, handles people that are trying to preserve their fertility due to cancer diagnosis. So the, what we had to do was we talked about an IVF, which is vitro fertilization, to where I could pull eggs out um, in case surrogacy was an option. So, but the thing is, is like once I started, because we did decide the conversation that my treatment plan was to be chemo radiation, um, and with a finished off what they call brachytherapy. So they were going to radiate me, which means all my female parts were not going to work. Um, so curing a child was not. But it really was not going to be an option even. So the timing of doing an in vitro fertilization, getting the eggs before they got radiated through treatment was important. So in July, I went through in vitro fertilization, a 14-day cycle where I took shots. Like as soon as I said yes, shots were on my door in two days. Um, and it was kind of it was crazy. Like I would talk to a doctor in the morning via phone or email. They would tell me what my shot mixture was I'm playing chemistry in my bathroom mixing these shots <laughs> and then at that night giving my shot there's also ultrasounds that were involved every other day or three days 
I would either, um, I found a facility here that would monitor this, but sometimes I would drive to Houston because my doctor, my fertility doctor calls in Houston. And so through those things, it was like, Give, oh, you had to get blood too. So, like at 7 o'clock in the morning, I'm giving blood, 2 30, I'm having ultrasound, 6 p.m., I'm getting shots. It was really ridiculous. But it was, it was good. Knowing that um, the reason why I'm doing it and a bigger purpose kind of got me through it. And you were um, still like, training and coaching during this whole time too, weren't you? Yes. Yeah, so I was still trying to maintain training where I knew I was getting fatigued and there were a lot of symptoms that were coming more in the forefront of stuff. So, it was hard, but being stubborn, I thought it was better than focusing on what was going on in my life. Um, my life, my insides were crumbling. You know, like I was really, really sick. And as much as I hate saying that, I didn't. My dad, my dad, was sick once. I'm like I'm not sick. I just got this thing. It's cancer thing. I'm just not sick. Because to me, being sick, it really puts a lot of negatives on there. And I was, and he's like, No, Karen, you are, but you're gonna get better. Not okay. <laughs> but I didn't I like being called sick, but sometimes the wording of, of cancer is really negative. A lot more negative than the word sick. So a lot of times I refer to it, oh, that coming off sick. And because cancer is just so heavy, it's so dark, it's so grim. No, um, it, it, it is. It, means, it takes a lot, it doesn't mean like it doesn't mean like some people don't recover from cancer, unfortunately. I did, but so people automatically go negative when they hear the word cancer, and I don't, I don't like the thing negative. Well, you and I talked about in our last conversation a year ago on it is we had, I'd kind of mentioned the late Stuart Scott and his approach during his treatments and final days was he was training, he was boxing, he was jump rope, he was doing what he could because his approach was the stronger the body, the stronger he was to fight it, and stronger for kind of everyone else. Um, which sounds like you had the same mindset of, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to continue to refine and build my body so that I'm stronger for everything I'm going through. Yeah, you, you, like I said earlier, I went into it prepared. How did um, I was in great, great shape. I was at peak at, at the time of my um, my performance. So I went in there fighting. Like, I, I gave it a good good win. You know, I mean, I gave it a good try so, how did uh, how did your coach Michael kind of respond to just your journey and battle on this, as well as how did your clients that you coached uh, at the gym once kind of word started getting out about what you were going through? So I finally, I finally started treatment in August August sixth, two thousand fourteen. Diagnosed the great fifth. Started treatment August six. Six months later, almost. Um, I chose not to tell my uh, my coworkers other than just being a friend of mine. Um, I chose Michael. I remember telling him on a weighted vest walk. He's kind of wearing this 30-pound vest. I have my sunglasses on, and I asked him, I said, can you walk with me? I need to talk to you. He's like, sure. And so he was He was also a friend of mine. We competed in the game together in 2012, so he was a teammate. And so he stood the back of the pack. I'm like in the middle chatting with everybody and everybody. He stepped in the back of me. And I can remember saying, like, I'm delivering this news. I'm wearing this, like, heavy 30-pound pack. I'm sweating. I have a glass on. And by the end of that, all right, he had me walk. I'm crying. And, but oh, we come to the back. And um, he was very kind. He just let me talk and let me explain to him what was going on. Um, he was just like, whatever you need, you know, let me know. 
Um, I said, just want you to know, because I would like to continue training. At that point, he, I still trained through my um, chemo and radiation treatments the best I could. I, would, I remember on Fridays, I would go in and work out at 5.30 in the morning for them. The best, you know, we're on the squats, like on the squats. Um, it was also off-season. So the team had already gone to the games, and so we were in off-season. So I was able to hide a little bit more because my my strength is a Metcom. Like, I had a, I had a motor. So, but when I was sick, I didn't have a motor. I can remember doing burpees and thinking, I'm going to die. I'm going to do, like, pull up, I don't know, like, 50 pull-ups and 50 burpees. And I thought I was going to die. And I just was like, finish it, just finish it. And I was, I knew, like, when burpees were getting hard, it was, it was really hard. I mean, burpees are, do not get me wrong. Burpees are never easy. But I got really hard. <laughs> but I, I was able, being in the off-season, we were kind of on that lull. We weren't, like, trying to peak for anything. Um, I was able to hide a little bit. There was a little bit more strength training, so I didn't. I mean, I got fatigued, but not as much as I would with a Metcon. Yeah. So um, I did. I continued to train, and my my athletes did not know. I made sure my athletes did not know. Um, my training, Jess was really the only one that knew of my training partners. Uh, so when I started, I started telling my friend Melissa, um, when I first with the chemo, I was like, because she's a close friend of mine too, I was like, I need to tell you something. And there were like this list of people that I wanted to call and tell. Like, I was very excited to tell my family too, because I knew they would be super supportive, but almost like, I don't have any interest, I hate when I know something. And so I, I was hesitant to tell even like my grandmother and my aunts and uncles and um, so that thing. But on Friday, I would wake up and I would go train at 5 in the morning. And I, we were doing squats, so that was good. I was able to hide a little bit. Now I go to radiation at seven o'clock because I had radiation every day. I go to radiation at seven o'clock, and then I would go to chemo. I had chemo from like nine to like four, something ridiculous. And I go home and sleep, and then you know just do the best I can. And um, you know, you just kept. I took a lot of naps, a lot, a lot of naps. And you know, I can remember getting to class early and like going in an office and just sleeping for like on the floor of an office in the concrete. Because I was so fatigued. How and people thought, oh, it's hot. It's, you know, she's just taking a nap, no big deal. So summer was, in Austin. What? I said, everybody's like, oh, it's summer in Austin. She's been coaching yeah. since the morning. And, like, and so I did all my treatments. Um, and when it was over, I started my, my blogs. And then I put it out to everyone saying, like, this is what's been going on. And no, nobody knew a lot. Some people had knew, like, a lot of my. People that I trained with knew I was having female issues because that's kind of what I took. I remember some female issues because I knew kind of some of the symptoms um, that were going on, especially through regionals. Like, I'm just having some female issues I'm dealing with right now. It'll be fine. You know, I'm getting everything looked at. I'm going to doctors. So if I had an appointment, they didn't really think much about it. They didn't think it was as extreme as it was. So, and and you, the, the one thing I loved about your blog and you sharing it was to help anyone else going through that situation? Because as we talked about, you landed on WebMD and, and Lord knows what other sites and thought the world was ending and no chance, where your blog kind of gives hope to someone going through that situation that, that maybe CrossFits, that's dealing with cancer, how you dealt with it, uh, which is just completely awesome to me because you're taking the pain and, and the struggles you went through and, and helping others be less fearful of the unknown by providing at least a little bit of knowledge. And so how long did you start that? Uh, how long ago did you start the blog? And, and how many posts and, and stories did you run with it on? Well, I started um, shortly after 
finishing uh, treatment. And so I had written a couple of little inserts. So like, I think I should do something with this. Um, because my late-night crutches were not doing me any good. I found two crossfitters that had cervical cancer and were still crossfitting. Um, one was Brittany, a founder of uh, Everyday Warrior. And she recently has passed. But another one, um, she had just been diagnosed and dropped out and never went back to competing. Uh, but her story, she was uh, over in California, NorCal. I'm honestly drawing a blank on her name. But she um, she went through stuff, and but she was she had fine as far as I know. But there's not many stories out there. So if I could put my story out there, I, it's one maybe somebody will come across it if they're doing late night internet searches. Um, and so they, uh, I put it out there. I wrote a little bit after, like when I was in chemo, about how I'm feeling, what's going on. I always took a picture. That kind of thing. So I just kind of put a lot of my notes together when I wrote the blog out. And I separated out into different sections like I did about my um, my diagnosis. I wrote a big one about the full story. You get it all, but it's really long. So then I split it out to like IVF. And then I did chemo radiation. Um, I did, or maybe the chemo, then I did radiation, then I did brachytherapy. Um, I did one about having my first year, entering my first year of remission and what that's like. Um, I would like to do a follow-up now, being a year later, and because I went through, because my few parts were radiated, I went through radiation into menopause. So at 29, 30 years old, I went through menopause. And so writing about what that's like, because that includes hormones, and we all know that all of that affects how you perform. And so finding hormones, right, doctors that will do that, your insurance doesn't cover that, maybe they do, maybe they don't, the cost of that and what all that's like and all the appointments that I have to have follow-up. Um, I'll be posting something about that soon. Just because in your first year, every three months, you have to go see your radiologist and your oncologist. Um, and then for every three months, for the first one or two years, and then I have every six months. And then after that, it's once a year. So, so, so I have all these freaking appointments. I'm like, there's no thing. Like, I walk in there and I'm like, uh, what? What are you doing? So, what? <laughs> Let's look at that. So talking about that, your life now, later, year later again, um, you obviously, the, the changes from the female anatomy standpoint, some of those things you're going through, how has maybe your training, your active lifestyle, or, or the rest of your life, does it look differently than before uh, this? Have you changed things, modified things in, in how you live day to day? Um, there are some how to change. I did have to build a lot of like, hormones. and This may be in that TMI category. But finding the correct hormone um, that works for you. I'm on my third one. I've gone through a couple of things. Uh, my oncologist moved, so I had to find another oncologist. Um, I, I get to meet them in April. So like my oncologist left in September. I had a temporary person, and they just kind of give you temporary answers because you're not really their patient. You're kind of like this in-between person. So I've seen a new oncologist on April 4th or something. So it still goes on. Like, even I've been in remission. I entered my second year of remission in February, on February 5th, 2015. And you still have to deal with so much extra. Like, I'm still having to deal with, like, I found this hormone, and I started, like, this, they, the doctor gave me this hormone, and I started doing research on it, and I was like, I, I don't like that. I, I didn't like the way it made me feel. Um, but it's like, I had to take a hormone every day. My, my levels are out of whack. Not and it's not something I'm like. Oh, I wish I didn't have to do this. I don't want to do this. It's like you have to take this as a because your body doesn't produce this, so you have to do this. 
Um, and so I didn't like one, and so I got on this other one. I went and saw this temporary doctor, and she put me on this patch. She's like, yeah, it'll stay on with you during the activity. I don't think she understood, like, my activity level. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> so not just getting on a treadmill. What? I said it's not just hopping on a treadmill for a light run or a row. I'm like, uh, that little patch there is not going to survive. It can't survive February. It's not going to survive July. So we, uh, I did a... I went online for my own benefit, and I did all this research, and I found my own my own hormone, and I called my doctor because this is the one I put me on. The insurance takes this, put me on this one, and they called it in, put me on it. But I had to go back and do my own research. Like I feel like you have really in this. Um, this is my change. I will I will make it short. You have to be an advocate for yourself, and when you're going to battle for this, um, and that's really anything in life too. I could apply that to really anything, but you have to be an advocate for yourself and. Be very upfront. If you cannot, if you're not in the, um, I was fortunate enough to be that position whenever I was sick. I didn't have it as bad as some of those other people. But, I didn't have it as bad as some of the people. And so I was able to fight for myself. I just put on my little red boots and I'll fight. Hey. But some people are not physically, mentally stable enough to make decisions or fight for it. So it's so important to have someone there that will fight your battles with you or for you. Because if you're, like, there were some times that I had to take medicine that made me not, you know, call for functional. So my mom was there to fight my battle for me and to make the calls for me. And so um, I think it's very important to find that person that will do that. Because even though I'm, I'm fine and I'm doing really well physically, there's all that mental and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you still have to take care of. Absolutely. And the mental side is what probably becomes the hardest for most people of feeling like it's never going to end. Right. And it does. I have binders and binders of paperwork that say like this and this and then you go to someone new and you get all these other paperwork and it's like backtracking and stuff and just thank goodness I'm like an organized nut that you can keep things in line. But it, I mean, it's still, even though you, entering remission is cool, don't get me wrong, that's a huge thing of it. But it doesn't stop there. So people that are in my shoes and the intermission, yay, that's good. High five, but continue to check on them because it's not done. They're still seeing doctors. They're still dealing with medical insurance. They're still doing a lot of legal stuff. Um, remission's awesome, but it's not over. Like, oh. and I'm still fine. I will be. It's fine. But. I, uh, you know, I, I loved... One of our quotes and one of the things that you told me when we when we talked the, the first interview is that when I'd ask what you competed for, you you made the comment that you want to show that a fit life prepares you for anything because you have a lot left to live for and you're not done yet. And so I, I would ask and revisit that a year later, what do you have yet that you are wanting to accomplish with this life? Uh, and especially given your current story and journey and, and everything you've been on the last few years um, that has probably influenced that, what what drives you to, or what are you seeking to accomplish? Mm. Well, I do, like, I think that part of it was cool. Um, it's been a real driving force. Like, we want to use that and change how people see CrossFit, because a lot of times they see it as negative. We want to use that to change people's view on CrossFit and where CrossFit is going, and I opened up CrossFit in the middle of my, I just opened up CrossFit car in the middle of the treatment. So I was fortunate enough to be with a teacher that helped me, that allowed me, like, hey, I can't come in this morning because I have treatment all day, but I'll be here the next day. So I want to, 
I said, well, we need to make a statement with CrossFit Pro, and I think we are doing just that. We are doing all the parts and movements and moving forward with that. And I think um, I want to make that a big thing and see how that plays out because I will always have my hand. Oh, I, I will always have my hand in CrossFit Pro. Like, that's something I want to be a part of for the time being. And I do want to have a family. I do want to, I don't know, like my options are adoption, surrogacy. You know, I want to prove that just because you went through all that stuff, and, and I'm not saying I want to love because I want to prove something. That's just me being stubborn. But <laughs> I, I want to um, show that, you know, it's okay, you can do this. And I think that that's something I want to do. I want to get married, I want to have a family, and whatever options that is available, I want to talk it. And then I'd like to have the to be available for me. And I think it is. It's um, really fun that I have an athlete. Hold on a second. Hi, hey, hey, hey. We've got two new guests on the show, both four-legged. <laughs> Sorry, they're just, they're just, like, my backyard's a mud pit. They can't go outside because they try to call the mud to my house. So they're going. Hey, I've got uh, two, too. I, trust me, I get it. I have to clean their paws off every time. Uh, nice. <laughs> um, but I, I have an athlete that's always, I don't know if she, like, it's her job to tell me stuff, but. She always updates me on the latest of the females things, and whenever her friends are doing surrogacy and she works with a lot of females but then like when someone's adopting and how cool it is and I I don't know if that she's like deemed that as her role or a bigger you know, bigger power is deemed that as her role but it's good to keep a reminder that you know there are I can still have a family I still can get married I can still have kids it just may not be the way that I planned it be out and life rarely ever goes the way we planned it. If you look back, what, 10 years ago, would you have thought, like, you're, you're CrossFit coach and gym owner and, like, just the journeys are fun because we don't know where we go. And if we got what exactly what we wanted, it would definitely not be as fun. That's true. 100%. So, Karen, if people want to read your blog, uh, most importantly, and learn more about your story and then connect with you online, where can they go to find your blog and where are you on social media? Ooh, I'm all over. Let's see. I have a blog at uh, livingamps.com, and there's a menu up there, and you can see it. it's called My Cancer Story, and you can click on there, and it'll tell you like different things. Like, if you want to read specifically about um, in vitro fertilization, which is something I've sent to a lot of people. Um, here's a story on my experience with it. If you want to read about, I don't know, radiation, here's my experience with it. Um, so, livingamp.com is my blog. I am on Instagram as Karen Pierce, my name. I am on Facebook as Karen Pierce. I have a Twitter account, but I'm not that active. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll definitely look full of pictures of my dog <laughs> and cops it. It's okay. That's most of mine is too. Well, uh, I'll be sure to have links in the blog about uh, in the podcast episode show notes for your blog, your Instagram, uh, so people can check that out. And then hopefully, if anyone's going through that uh, journey or similar, or know someone that is, they can direct them to your blog and, and connect with you. Karen, thank you so much for being on today. No problem. I appreciate. It. Thank you so much for all you did. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Better Than Yesterday podcast. To connect with the show, visit us at betterthanyesterdaypodcast.com. 
Do you want to leave us feedback? Shoot us a note, contact us. You can do it through the website or email us directly at podcast at competeeveryday.com. If you'd love to connect with me on social media or the larger Compete team, you can find us at Compete Every Day on any social media platform. And mine, you can look me up on Instagram at JakeT4 or on Twitter at Jake underscore T4. I'm excited. Say hi. Love to get to know people in the community. And I'll see you back here next week.